if you look at the book of Esther, two days ago I was there and I began to read from chapter four, really, as I knelt down to pray. And I saw that Esther went to the king. I mean, this was jumping out of me. Esther goes to the king after all the fear, telling them to fast, pray, appear before the king. You know, there was all this trembling, you know, and, you know, she told Mordecai, you know, nobody can appear before the king without being summoned. And the king hadn't summoned her for 30 days, for one month, and all of that. And she ended her speech in chapter 4 with saying, and if I perish, I perish. And she had called everyone to join and fast for three days. And then, of course, like I've shared with us before, we know more than Esther. Definitely, you should know way more than most of the Bible characters because you have the advantage of everything they've taught you. You do have the advantage of hindsight, for real, in a righteous, godly, proper way. You know, the book of Esther is this thing in the records of the Medians and Persians. You can see that in the last chapter. You don't find more about Mordecai or these people in the Chronicles of the Book of Kings. You find it in the annals of the kings of Media and Persia. So maybe the, the writings were polished, censored. They don't talk about God. This is that strange book where the word God does not occur at all. So they don't say things like pray. <laughs> Strangely, you know, they just say fast for three days. But of course, the presumption would be that fasting and not just walking around doing nothing. But again, remember with God, often it's a function of where you are. He meets you where you are. That's the thing with God, wherever you're standing when you call out. So whatever they knew and didn't know, they had been in captivity in Babylon for a long time. In fact, I believe the time of captivity had ended, but you still find them there in the kingdom of the meat and Persians. Definitely Daniel is out of the picture. But what struck me so strong you can see that in the book of Esther, chapter 5. The Bible says, On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall, facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased with her. <laughs> Beautiful words. He was pleased with her and held out to her the gold scepter that was in his hand. So Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. Now, after all the fear and horror and all the scary things, but he walks in there. The Bible says the king looks at Esther and he's pleased with her. You know, many of us, we are so used to thinking the Lord is displeased with us and so on and all of that. Something which you should not carry on your head constantly. You should be concerned about disobeying God in a matter. But you mustn't think overall in any sense that God dislikes you or whenever you come to mind, he, he feels bile rising up. Because some of us think like that. You're always trying to prove something to God. You don't need to prove anything. Doing what you're meant to do is not proving anything. You're accepted in the beloved. You're loved for you. God is excited about you. The way I'm excited about any of my children, physical or spiritual, I'm excited about you, even if you can be annoying, but that you exist is a joy, that you are even loving God, that you're part of our family spiritually, the family in heaven and on earth, is a happy thing compared to your being out there in the world, lost in the enemy's camp. Your mere existence, even with disobedience, even if you're in disobedience, but you're part of us, as opposed to being part of the enemy, is a happy thing. When they count and they're sharing food, thinking, oh, we need to make provision for those that will eat or sleep. You are counted. You are amongst those that have been chosen. So some of us struggle. A lot of God's children who really want to serve him, not the reckless ones who don't care about pleasing him, but the ones that want to please him, but sometimes seem to fall short significantly. Oh, I have a duty to carry out. I've not carried out my duty. I've not carried out my duty. I must be so bad. You're almost like slinking around in the spirit, you know, barely hiding your face in a cowl, you know, wrapped. Not like to be recognized. You would rather just stay in the shadows. And you believe God has just given up on me. God must think I'm the worst child there is. 
Now the truth of the matter is, God may be displeased with your not doing something, you know, but it's more of this kind of displeasure. And I'm trying to use real examples from my own life, you know. Maybe I've told you for a long time, I don't like this short thing you wear. I told you, I spoke to you three months ago or six months ago or a year ago about this. I spoke to you once, spoke to you twice. But it seems you try stop for a week or two and then you wear it again. Instead of just getting rid of that skirt or gown, you kept it and you keep. Now, it doesn't mean that every second my mind is thinking on that. When you wear it, my mind has not forgotten that you are holding on to this thing, which I would rather you got rid of. But that doesn't stop me from being excited when I see you. Many times parents even try to show displeasure. They try to show they are not pleased with us because they are hoping to make us change. That's often why parenting. So if they look as if they are carrying this look of disapproval, they are carrying it because they want you to feel guilty enough to stop doing it. But it doesn't mean in their heart they are thinking, I don't even know what kind of child this is. Don't even know why. No, because if you follow that parent or you're with them, in private or with others, you hear them boasting about you. Ah, my child, oh, yeah, oh, you know. And when they're around and they see other children on the streets, wayward, troublesome, disrespectful children, they think in their hearts, they go, thank God for my own child. Thank God my own child is not like this. You know, God, I thank you. God, I thank you. I know there are still issues, but I thank you for what I have. You know, there's that feeling. So there's primarily a sense of pride and joy that God has in his children, okay? And you must know this and stop laboring under burdens. God did not give you. Switching back to the Esther picture. This is not a picture of father child. This is a picture of the king and his queen, which you must come into to understand what the spirit of God is saying here. Remember, you are like a, a piece of land to a field that is planted. Remember, you're like a soldier. Remember, you're one of many uh, pictures. In this instance, this is not the father-child relationship. This is the king and queen relationship. This is the bride of Christ picture. And you have been invited to be part of that. If not in full realization yet, like the two men who were called to build a house, but potentially, you have the potential to be. So, Forget about the overcomer status now. At this time, Ephesians chapter 5 says clearly that he was talking about the church and Christ, like a husband and wife. And this is the picture. So you're fully permitted to walk in that picture, that illustration. But hear this, because you might still struggle. Eh, well, but isn't that, it's not true. It is true because nobody is an overcomer yet. Nobody alive, nobody walking around in this world is there. And does that mean Ephesians chapter 5 does not apply to our lives until after the first resurrection? No. Like every other thing, you walk in the faith of it. You walk in trusting. You reach and partake in the powers of the age to come. You're permitted health, well-being, provision, abundance, supernatural multiplication of food, whatever. All those things are things for the age to come. Getting the dead raised and all of that. So we can reach over into the other side. So you reach over and walk in the thinking of one who has been accepted already, who is chosen, who is in the beloved. All right, so where are we? We're in chapter five. The king looked at Esther and was pleased with her. It's very important, you know this. And this jumped at me two days ago so strongly. And I was just looking through some words this morning. And I'm seeing people's words and saying that they should come, that, you know, we should come expecting and all that. There's acceptance. That's my point. The king looked and was pleased. So stop, get ready, you know, the getting ready on the third day she went. Getting ready is to come. And when you come, this, I believe, is the word of the Lord. He will accept you. He will accept you fully. Hear what the king says. Then the king asked, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be given you. And you would think he's just saying it. Well, okay, this is how they used to talk. But look at something. The queen answers, If it pleases 
the king, replied Esther, let the king together with Haman come today to a banquet I have prepared for you. Look at verse 6. As they were drinking wine, the king again asked Esther, now what is your petition? It will be given you. And what is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. He kept saying this. Esther replied, my petition and my request is this. If the king regards me with favor, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come tomorrow to the banquet I will prepare for them. Then I will answer the king's question. So this is Esther using the favor, the grace, the pleasure the king had in her to say, please come again, come and receive from me again. Let me give you joy, gladness, praise, whatever. Again, a second chance, a second go at it. And then I will tell you. So she used the pleasure of the king at that time with her to ask for the king to come again, which is something I hope he will do. We ask the Lord to reveal himself. We ask the Lord to reveal himself and to receive from us that which we have to offer him. And there's no, sometimes we are in too much of a hurry. It's okay to take your time and ponder and put down what we want to ask the king for, you know, and I believe your hearts will ask for what is right and good and pleasing and unselfish. Of course, you know what the prayer was about. It was for the salvation of her people and for the destruction of their enemy. So all of that is what we come to the king for. Let's see what happened the next day. Between that time, the king could not sleep in early chapter 6 and things already started happening in favor of Esther and Mordecai. All right? In that short time, without making a request, Mordecai was honored. Without making any request, Mordecai was put on the king's horse and taken around the city and shown off and serenaded by Haman, their enemy. The enemy is compelled to bless, to do unto Mordecai as he wanted done unto him. The king begins to dispense justice. And uh, you can see that here. When they go back in chapter 7, so the king and Haman went to Queen Esther's banquet, and as they were drinking wine on the second day, the king again asked, this is the third time, Queen Esther, what is your petition? It will be given you. What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. <laughs> so nobody needs to tell you. You see, many of us have this attitude of the God doesn't, God is holding back. I'm really, no, ask keep appearing before him, keep requesting his audience. He wants to give us far more than we can ask or imagine. Imagine even up to half the kingdom. Do you think by now this is just an idiomatic expression? If she had said, my king, I want one-tenth of your kingdom, he would have given half of the kingdom. He would have said, yes, I decree. Listen, these kings didn't just talk. Herod used to listen to John the Baptist. Go and listen to him in prison. It's in the Bible, by the way. So for those that don't know, go searching. It's there. It's written. It's not, that's not from historical records other than scripture. And when Herodias told Salome, his stepdaughter, ask for his head, the Bible says he wasn't happy with it. But he gave it. Because when they make these proclamations in front of everyone, even up to half the kingdom, they just open your mouth and say, my Lord, I won't have your kingdom. I said, yes, immediately let papers be drawn up. From henceforth, half the kingdom is ruled by my queen. That would have happened. He kept making this promise. So he asked it again. It will be given you, he kept saying. It will be given you. What is your request? It will be given you. And I saw the love that God has for his queen, the ones that he has called to choose to rule with him out from amongst others. And we've had words even as a house. God loves us, so let's take advantage of the love. Look at what Esther teaches us. Then Queen Esther answered, if I have found favor with you, your majesty, and if it pleases you, grant me my life. That's one. This is my petition. And spare my people. That's two. 
This is my request. For I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed and annihilated. Jumping to verse 5. King Xerxes asked Queen Esther, Who is he? Where is he, the man who has dared to do such a thing? Esther said, An adversary and enemy. This vile Haman. Adversary, Satan. Then Haman was terrified before the king and queen. The king got up in a rage, left his wine, and went out into the palace garden. But Haman, realizing that the king had already decided his fate, stayed behind to beg Queen Esther for his life. Now the question is, don't we know God has already determined Satan's fate? It's to be cast into the lake of fire. But we often act as though God is on Satan's side. He's not. Just as the king returned from the palace garden to the banqueting hall, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was reclining. The king exclaimed, Will he even molest the queen while she's with me in the house? As soon as the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Of course, that's the end of the story. Haman didn't survive thereafter. But look at this. Will he even molest the queen while she is with me in the house? People, we must be with the king in the house. This is what I've always taught you, that our safety comes from being with God more than from binding Satan. Look at Esther's fighting method. She goes to the king. She prepares herself. She seeks. She sets herself aside. Then she dresses up in her royal robes. She doesn't go tattered. Listen, strategy for getting victory over the enemy and more. Because God is able to do more than we ask or imagine. He did more, far more. She was given Haman's property, was given his estates, and he was very wealthy. She was given all of that. So, what's the strategy? First, she prepares herself. Second, she puts on royal robes. She doesn't put on, I am such a wretched begging. She doesn't go dressed in a tattered way to say, I am so useless, I am so this and that. That's not how she goes. She goes as royalty, which is how you should go when you're coming to the king, after you have prepared yourself, after you have humbled yourself, which is what God is telling us. Cleanse your hearts, ye sinners. Prepare your hearts, ye double-minded. Cleanse your hearts, ye sinners. James 4, it says in my NIV, come near to God, he will come near to you. You see that? Wash your hands, you sinners and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and well. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. So that is there. I'll just toss in verse 11. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them, speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There's only one law given and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? So, you know, one of the things you must be cleansed from in this season, if it's there, is this. Make sure you're not judging, speaking against one another. There are issues you ought to have resolved and didn't resolve, if there even happens to be any need for that. But keeping it, then turning and talking to someone around you, telling someone, oh, this person did that and that, and you're speaking negative words from a place of anger or this thing. Right. I believe God is answering someone's prayer. God, what do I need to clean? I'm fine. Make sure this is not there. If it's there, you're a sinner. And you better wash your hands. Now, you're going to need to purify your hearts too. Be single-minded. And that's it. That's what Esther was in those days. She focused, went before the Lord with her maid servants, those who serve her. You, your body, your members, all of it is part. It's meant to seek the Lord. It's meant to be for the Lord. And she took all of that. And she went through that process first. Unfortunately, some of us stop at this process. No, it's for a purpose. You do this for something else. You're going somewhere. So you mustn't stay in the place of mourning forever. Why? Because he's going to turn your mourning into joy. He says God will lift you up. You're going somewhere else. There's a purpose to it. And you can see that. I didn't read that part in the book of Esther, but you're going to see it where after all the events, all the amazing events, 
you see it in chapter 9 verse 22 as the time when the jews got relief from their enemies and as the month when their sorrow was turned into joy and their mourning into a day of celebration so you see in james 4 it tells you to turn your joy into mourning and some people think we are meant to live in a state of mourning and constant sorrow and uh, feelings of unworthiness no you humble yourself so you'll be exalted it's not you that exalt yourself it's god so you humble yourself under the mighty of god and he exalts you it's a it's the way we do it it's how victors win battles the greatest challenge people have is they don't humble themselves and they want to be exalted they say no i don't want to walk in a state of feeling i'm under i'm in mourning and they try to rejoice but remember the book of isaiah saying that they wouldn't be forgiven for this because when god called for mourning they rejoiced and ate and drank we must always line up with what god is doing god has a time god has a season for everything she put on royal garments so i want you to know you're to appear before god as royalty don't appear before god as a pauper now after the time of waiting including today then present yourself in humility and say god search me know my heart try me know my thoughts see if there's any wicked in me leave me in the way everlasting that's the attitude to come to him with i mean it i didn't say feel it for all you feelers mean eh, but i'm not feeling in my heart i don't care what you're feeling open your mouth and say the words god see me whatever needs cleansing putting please do it amen i mean it someone may send you a message some may come across a book a writing god has so many ways of cleaning us up you may have a dream you may remember a word you go and check something that was once said or you may already know all this scriptures will come alive in some areas you sit down and look at it the mere act of cutting yourself aside in some form to seek the lord as you are able to that will do wonders for you that you humbled yourself as they did with fasting that you that you withheld yourself from food and came before god that moves god in a significant way because the only reason you're doing it is him all right so what happened after that she put on royal garments and she went she didn't stay there all of us have royal garments whether you know it or not some of us think you have rats only. no you have royal garments because when you accept in the beloved you are given royal garments so it's an attitude and all you have to do is arise in your heart in your mind and go put on yourself and come as royalty don't come crawling come as royalty see yourself come before the lord father i've come i thank you for access it's not every time remember this is after the period of humbling yourself not before please don't mix this up don't go running hey i'm royalty bam bam who they here it's after humbling herself that she did this so everything in its order after humbling herself then she went and she came this time as who she is in her official capacity note the difference between who you are as a person with your shortcomings and who you are as royalty as spiritual royalty you don't walk around carrying out royal functions with words coming out of your mouth saying you people don't mind me i'm just normal don't mind me leave all these things appearances don't don't don't, don't worry of me i'm just like anybody that i'm not better than anybody don't do that doing that does not please god and you don't get things like that what did esther say before the king stretched his scepter to her and began to say his words nothing she had not said anything to him anything she had said was in her secret she came as royalty she came as one who is entitled to her king in spite of the laws and the seeming fearful things that would come against her that she might perish she said if i perish i perish she was willing if the king will smite me down if the king will kill me if i'm too unworthy based on the law to appear before him let him kill me not with an attitude of why 
Why should God do that? Why can't I? No, it will be in humility and understanding that, well, there are laws. Just like you feel many times, well, I'm guilty of not walking his laws fully uh, and all of that. It's almost like, yes, that is true. But he's the one who loves us. He's the lover of us. So he's our beloved. We are his and he's ours. His banner of us is love. So we should resort to that aspect of his nature. We have a right to. And so that's how she came. That's why she dressed as royalty. She came as one in the same class. Listen, there are not 10 queens, a hundred queens. There's one queen, there's one king. They were the highest levels of royalty. They were nobility, but she was royalty. He called her Queen Esther. So she's a chosen one from amongst many. She used what she had. She came. No other person could have done it. She came. And as she went in, he stretched out his scepter. All right? Now, what did she do with her request? How else did she win? She won by giving him wine. She gave him wine. She gave him pleasure. Your praise, your worship, you're opening your mouth to bless the king in the spirit with your understanding. All of that. You're feeding the king. The lifting of your hands. All of that. Your heart, your attitude. That is an offering to the king. So she gave him an offering. Whatever it is you give towards the king's pleasure is a form of a banquet. A banquet and a feast of wine. This is what Esther gave the king. She didn't take first. She didn't request first. She gave first because it's more blessed to give than to receive. So it's not just that you humble yourself and prepare, but you give. And this is what you must do in this season. It can be money. It can be anything. But the giving is the heart of the one who wants to please the king. And you're following a protocol of wisdom and love. It's wise. You could accuse Esther of anything. You can't accuse her of being foolish. The only foolishness was being willing to lay down her life. And anybody that knows, knows that's wisdom. Laying down your life for others because she was safe. She was covered. She was a queen. There's no way. Nobody even knew where she was. And then there's no way Haman was going to go kill the queen. It wouldn't happen, even if he knew. But she was doing this for her people. All right? And then when she makes her request, she opens her mouth and asks for her own life first because the king will care very much about her. So she identified with her people. She didn't separate and say, leave those people, the church. Leave them. They can do what they like. Thank God, I am not. No. Identificational repentance or petitioning is vital. Where we ask God for the church, for God's people. So she asked for herself. She, who was chosen already, she asked, said, for my life. And all of us must want our lives. We must ask for our life. We must ask for our life. We must seek to receive what is most necessary for us to be able to serve God effectively. Our lives matter to God. Our lives matter, not black lives. Royal lives matter. Our lives matter. And she used that. And the king was angry. And she also said, my request is for my people. The king was, who would dare? Who is trying to take out my people? And you can know this is not just your physical life because it's in the book of Revelation where you say, let's wait till the rest of your brethren that will be slain. But with God, is your spiritual life. And is there an enemy that is trying to take our spiritual life from us? Is there one who is trying to snuff this out? Is there one who is trying to cost us our work with God? Now, it's time for all of those that have struggled with that to be more intelligent. You have to be angry. You have to be offended. Go to the king and say, this devil, this adversary, this Satan has been trying to stop me from following you, has been trying to kill me and my people, has been trying to destroy, trying to make me fall by the wayside, trying to make me fall and no longer be part of what God is doing. The king will be angry if you are angry. The challenge is sometimes some of us act like the king doesn't care. Leave, it is not what Look, I'm even looking for a way to disqualify people. I beg, do come up there. That thinking is so bad because we're still alleging against God mentally that he doesn't love us. But God is very passionate about having his queen. He is. It's no small thing to him. It really bothers him that we survive, that we make it. But we often act as though he doesn't care. He's neither here nor there. He doesn't care. 
if you fall. After all, you weren't fit for the kingdom. He was saying those things, if you look back. So why would he say it if it didn't matter? He's saying it because he wants you not to look back. So he's warning you, hey, don't look back. Make sure you don't. Don't be double-minded. Don't. He's not saying don't be double-minded or get out from here. He's saying don't be double-minded. Focus completely on me. He, he wants you for himself. And this is the heart of God. Embrace the heart of God. Understand the heart of God. The heart of God is that we be part of him. That's the heart of God. The heart of God is not that. Please do something. I'm looking for an excuse to remove you. Some of you think that. But God doesn't say that. If words sound like that, it is to motivate you not to do it. So out of jealousy, like the book of Romans say, you might say, I am. So others will be me. I'll not be. No. I'm going to press in. I'm going to make sure I'm accepted. Why are the others going to make it and I won't? That's the attitude God wants us to have. So accuse the enemy, accuse the accuser. See, this one is trying to stop me from surviving. Been fighting me day and night. He has all these wicked plans underneath. And the king's wrath will keep you. The eighth psalm, out of the mouth of babes and suckling, you've ordained strength that you might silence the avenger and the enemy, the enemy of our soul. We are meant to silence him in the place of making our presentations to the king. So ponder it, put it down carefully and present it. This is this. The enemy is trying to take me down like this. He's trying to do this. I'm not talking about your day-to-day temptations and just normal life, please. But there's this life-threatening issue, some that have been there and you fought and struggled and it keeps being there. And you can see this grand scheme that he's been plotting to take you down and not just you. God's people in the world trying to go after the truth as an example, corrupting the true gospel of the kingdom, spreading it out across, making lies and counterfeits dominate the land, taking away from people the fear of sin, saying sin is okay, all those kinds of things. It's a grand, wicked scheme, raising people, not the physical version as our people are so crazy about, by our people, I mean Christians, always talking about, oh, they are trying to come up with a scheme to kill Christians, constantly being focused on the least important thing. Of what use is it you gain the world and lose your soul, Jesus asked. Physical life is a blessing and we must take all of it that we have a right to. But the scriptures say over and over again, not just to the children of Israel when they are disobedient, but to the people of God, in the book of Revelation, that there's those assigned to the sword. There's those assigned to different ways of going. Those assigned to live. And these are not just inhabitants of the world. And it said that God's people should possess their souls in patience. They should take note of these things. They should know this is so, so that they are not discouraged. This is the patience of the saints. But you see people so worked up about how they will survive physically. God doesn't care about that as desperately as we think. What he cares about is that we make it out in the long run and that we will be people who give him joy and gladness and who rule and reign with him. That's what he wants. That's what he wants. There's a real life that is truly life. And that's the kind of life he wants us to have. Why would it be important that you have some bad quality life? God promises eventually when we come out of the great tribulation and all the things that will happen in this world, and that's not just speaking about a future event. Look at uh, the book of Revelation 7, you see that. But you see God talking about how he wipe away every tear from their eyes and how they will never thirst or be hungry and anything. And you lead them to springs of living water. You know, with God, remember, there's always that big picture. He can see the future. He knows how to end so he's not as stirred up about some of the short-term events because it's going somewhere the only people that are extremely bothered about this are those who live for this age who are bound by the present and god does not want us to be bound by the present now i'm reading the passage from revelations chapter 13 verse 9 to 10 whoever has ears let them hear If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity they will go. 
If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword they will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. If he's talking about others and unbelievers, why is he calling for patient endurance and faithfulness? Because it is God's people that will go into captivity and that will be killed with the sword. There's something like that in God's economy. I'm sorry. To a real understanding, you must have fighting it or hating it or saying God could never is simply not realistic. You must understand that God has a plan beyond us. Look at Revelation 6 verse 10. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. So you can see there's physical death. All I'm trying to say is not the biggest, worst thing. You know, you should just have a heart that you're willing to die for your Lord. That's all. That's all. Deal with that. Keep it. That's it. I'm not talking about spiritual death. No, I mean physical death for the sake of Jesus. It's those that are meant to. So there's a plan in God's wisdom that some people, that's how it will be. Okay. So once that's dealt with, then you go on to live your life from day to day. But that's not the thing to fear and dread. Why? Because those guys, I gave you chapter 7, go read it. They're going to be very glad. They're going to enjoy themselves so much. They're going to be extremely exalted. So they will lose nothing. That is very transitional. The real thing to fear is your soul, losing your life. Your soul, that's the thing which is not defeated by physical death, is defeated by spiritual death. Satan is not desperate to take you out physically, except he's in a rage. If he's desperate to take people out physically, I have a simple question. Why do many people that do wickedness and ungodly people, like in Psalm 73, why do they live so long? If Satan wants people to come into his hand so he will kill them, then why is he not killing all the unbelievers and all the wicked people? Why do they seem to thrive and grow and flourish? Because that's not what he wants. If it's your finances that it's all he, he wants, then why are wicked people the richest? Because that's not what he's interested in. It's your soul. He wants to snuff the life of God from out of you. He wants you to walk in sin and iniquity. He wants you to fall away by the side of the road. He doesn't want us to arrive. So this is what Esther requested for, her life. I want to survive. I want eternal life. I want to make it to the I want to stand. I want to be counted amongst those that were chosen and faithful to the end. That's what I want. And that's what we are fighting for. That's what Satan is trying to take. He wants you to give up on God. He wants you to turn your back on him. He wants you to give up from running the race or aiming for the overcomer company. That's what he wants. He wants you to strive and stop striving. He wants you to fail in your efforts. He wants you to not achieve the ultimate desire Jesus came to declare to us of the gospel, the good news. And if he succeeds, that's Haman winning. And this is what we must fight. So our request before the king should be for our life and the lives of our brothers and sisters. This is what we come mainly for. Everything else can follow. Everything else can follow. The devil knows if we know priorities, we are made. So he constantly tries to keep us from knowing the priorities. Look at it in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2 and 3 and 4. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So grace and peace comes through the knowledge of God and Jesus. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. And then he goes on to tell you what you should add. Add to your faith, virtue and virtue knowledge. He goes on to give you the list. So that's what your 
getting rich in faith, virtue, knowledge, you know, self-control, diligence, and so on, godliness, brotherly kindness. This is what we are to grow in. This is what will make us wealthy. Now, that's exactly what the devil attacks. He attacks our faith. We start doubting God. The greatest doubt is, uh, I don't think I can make it. I don't think I am amongst those that can be a disciple. I don't think I can be an overcomer. I don't think I can. Once Satan has you there, he has you. Has you. That's like Esther saying, I don't think I can go before the king. I don't think the king can preserve us alive. I don't think we can survive this attempt. So Satan wins. And I've often told you, you should at least fight just so Satan wouldn't win. You should hate him. That's the one thing you should hate, Satan. You're allowed to get personal because it's personal. It's your life. And he was trying to snuff it. Tries to fight you walking in virtue, acting virtuously, walking the power of God, obeying God. Tries to stop you from walking in knowledge. So tells you stay away from that. Waste time. Don't learn the things of God. Tries to stop you from walking in self-control. So it keeps trying to stop you from being in control, being orderly in your life. That any wind can carry you online, on phone, anyhow, anything, you know, fleshly lost, just pushes. It comes after you, trying to stop you from persevering. How many times have you tried and stopped? You've tried 10 times. Just give up, bro. He fights that. Meanwhile, you ought to keep saying no, no, and trying again and fighting again, persevering. He tries to stop you from being godly. And that's why some of us hold on to the same habits we've had. Oh, there's a way I greet. Good morning, Lord. He barely hears. Years ago, he told you, can't you greet well? And he doesn't answer you. And your attitude is that, whatever, that's your problem. You're not even happy about open my mouth. But you come and say, good morning, daddy, this time. They shock, but you're getting more godly. You make changes in how you act. You don't react how you've always been known to react. That your brother that maddens you, makes you feel like committing capital crime. <laughs> sibling side <laughs> you know feel like killing someone but you don't respond in the same way you just look at him and say god bless you but i don't like it and you walk away and get into your room and scream ah don't scream except you have demons you know but all right but the point is you're godly you start doing things differently and wow and the power of god begins to walk too because he's watching you you're releasing power in the spirit you're becoming godly you're adding to your godliness. You're adding to how you do things in every area. And then you add to that brotherly kindness. You go from saying, I'm shy, I'm not one that reaches out, even though I, I like to be reached out to. You purposely decide to reach out. You say, okay, I'm going to communicate with three people today, every day, or one person. I'm going to send a message to this brother in church, this sister in church going to do this and you do it it's the doing that the enemy fights above everything he doesn't mind the intending i would like to i plan to someday i will someday till you're 32. no we must do we must do finally we must add to this love agape unconditional the type that doesn't make sense self-sacrificing and living to serve others all of these are the things that our hearts, our minds, our thoughts should be attuned to. These are the things Satan fights. This is the life he's trying to take from us. This is how he's trying to cost us our lives. All right? And this is what we go to the king and say, God, we want this back. God, we are fighting for that which is us. It's a beautiful, wonderful thing. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing when you know the adversary. The enemy is not anything around you physical. It's these things behind the scenes. And when we present this to the king, the king will take the enemy out. He will impel him. When you're impelled, you can't move. I know your Bible will likely say hang if it's King James. But the more modern translations say impel. I don't I think they kill them first before impaling. But if you know what impel means, if you don't look up in your dictionary. It means to drive a stick throughout and they leave you stuck on that thing i don't even just their heads they impel or their whole body but this guy had created a very high thing to impel mordecai on very high you know why so people could see from far and wide from the farthest distances they could see 
what's that? Who is that? Impelled it. Then they'll get to hear the story. They took wicked Haman and impelled him on it. When you're impelled, you can't move. That's the point. You're transfixed. You're stuck in one place. And I believe God will impel the enemy on our behalf and hold him right where he is and not allow him to continue in his machinations against us. By the grace and power of God, we can come to a place where certain things in our lives are broken completely. And all of us have experienced it. You have experienced things that were an issue, gone, a desire for drugs, to smoke. So you can't say, eh, but there's this other thing that is my issue. What about the former things that used to be your issue that have been removed completely? Uh, no, you may say, um, it's only about two or three things that are no longer there. All the others are still there. I've had these struggles. I've had these things I contend with, you know, these, uh, they are all still there. All the things I struggled with before I came to, to know God, seriously. Are you telling the truth? How can that be true? You went for six months without certain events occurring in your life. So that can't be true. And your challenge is that, oh, if it was really gone, you're thinking that your brain power or your excitement or fellowship is what pushed it away. Fellowship helped create an atmosphere to push it away, you know, coming together. But it was God that pushed it away, the Spirit of God that walked within your mortal body. All you have to do is go to the king with that. Esther and Mordecai and the rest were living a peaceful life before Haman started something. And after they went to war like this, they got back their peaceful life and more, which is exactly what's going to happen with all of us. As we're going before the king, so we are coming out. We are coming out with more in the name of Jesus. Our peace will be greater. Our joy will be greater. Everything will be greater. Some of you have already experienced some of this. Even in this couple of months, some people had significant defeats, apparently, from the enemy. And they are back up and they are having more glorious experiences than they had before. How beautiful is that? Because they kept fighting, they kept struggling, they kept pushing back. People have had attacks in their minds, strong, heavy attacks. People have had attacks where they physically stumble. People have had attacks, almost what you call a crisis of faith. Is it working? And people have come back. People have turned their back on God, messed up big time, but have come back and are up and doing and are enjoying more glorious experiences. People have gone through like what you call the valley of the shadow of death. It's like there was no God anymore. And they are up and running and in communion with the Lord constantly. And that only happens to those who keep persevering, who keep doing these things. So we must appear before the king. Now, what's this seeming event connected to today? I believe that today's event marked by the Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks that spoke of when the Holy Spirit came 50 days after Passover was celebrated of one of the three main feasts. Passover, Pentecost, Tabernacles. So it's not the first feast. But you remember there was significant encounter available on April the 8th when Passover was being marked. It was a spiritual thing. It wasn't because we we're looking at dates or preparing. I don't really look at dates. I often think I should. Many people around the world do because those are the seasons as I've thought for years that the Spirit of God shows up better. I'm still struggling to transition. So I don't have dates marked on any calendar, any reminders or anything like that. However, I found out that when those seasons come, I find something happening and then I go like, oh, let me check. Just like I checked two days ago because of the things I was speaking in the spirit. And I realized, whoa, it's Pentecost. And that's why the spirit was brewing something. That's why. So he often leads me by the spirit. And I happened to see yesterday how that before the Spirit of God came in the Azusa Street Revival in a very heavy form. It was on the Passover day, April 9th, 1906, the eve of Passover. Why does God operate that way? Because he has his times and seasons, and this is such a season. This is such a time. And what we are doing, we are not like people without eyes and just saying, oh, something interesting happened in my life. No, we are being intentional. We are purposely going and saying, my God, remember it's the year of the mouth, the decade of the mouth, you must open your mouth, you must speak, you must say things to God. Ask for yourself, ask for your people, ask for life, ask for survival, ask for victory. Victories are being 
acquired. But today should be a day for finalizing and not just continuing to tussle in secret with Haman, but a defeat where the king gives a decree for his destruction. Yes, we are not killing Satan. You can't kill him yet before his time. But we can have him put out of commission in certain areas of our lives. And we can walk around freely and stop thinking of, oh, I'm no more part of the body of Christ. I'm backslidden. I believe today is the day such things should happen no more. That some of you think that there may come a time you may backslide. The Bible says, yes, let him that thinks he stand, take it lest he fall. But there's also many, many people whose heart is, it doesn't matter what the enemy does. I can never go back to the world. Never. It's impossible. But some of you have acted as though it's possible to go back to the world. Why that should be so, I cannot comprehend. Beyond the fact that the enemy of your soul, the devil, has been carrying out plans and you have yielded, rolled over and died. Threat, well, this thing is stronger than me. If I survive, I don't know if I'll make it. You should never think that. Should be an attitude that says, no, I am the king's bride. How dare he? Take note, don't just fight for yourself. Fight for others. This is not about yourself. Some of you are secure, like Esther. It's for the others. We must no more stand in the wings and say, I don't know if they will make it. That's their problem. No, we must go to war for them. So present yourself, no matter how you feel, how victorious you are assured of being. Make intercession, make requests for your brethren. Any and every one that God puts on your heart, continue to lift them up. Make petition for them. Those people, one last thing that struck me very significantly as I saw it. I saw how sorrow and pain went out as the news went into all the territories of that kingdom. And I saw how about two people, a Mordecai and an Esther, internally, the ones who had access to the king, how they changed the fate of everybody. Laws had been signed and sent out by dispatch riders and laws were signed again and sent out. The ring that was given to him and was taken from him and put on the finger of Mordecai and Mordecai did freely. He that had the power of death, Satan, lost that power to Jesus. The Lord Jesus is acting on our behalf and his decrees, all the promises of God in Christ Jesus are yes and amen. We have exceeding great and precious promises. And victory came and the days of mourning were turned to days of joy. So people, I believe it ought to have been a time of mourning for us. I believe the Lord is giving us victory and we are going to upend it. And the same time that ought to have been a time of defeat is now a time of victory. It's going to be a time of rejoicing, time of many others becoming Jews, becoming the people of God. Because God has chosen by his own hand, God has chosen by his own power to be on our side out of love. And because we have chosen to make use of what we've got, our relationship with the king. Let's go before the king. It all happened in the house. The center of power is with those who have access to the king. God is on our side, people. We are so blessed and we rejoice in it. So let there be joy in the house of the Lord. I'm sure you can sing that song with understanding now. Be glad and rejoice, children of Zion.